You've landed on the Lonely Diplomat podcast, and wherever you are in the world from... Wait, many regular listeners will know that I'm doing a thing where I'm going through world capitals in alphabetical order. So, starting with A, and this week, on this episode, I start with E. But, did you know that there are no world capitals that start with a letter E? Fun fact, right? Anyway, let's just move past this awkwardness and I want to say welcome to you all wherever you're listening in the world. I'm Phil McAuliffe and I'm The Lonely Diplomat. I work to reconnect diplomats and those living the diplomatic life to themselves and the world around them. And I do this through my website, thelonelydiplomat.com. Now, it's been busy times since the last episode of the Lonely Diplomat podcast. In addition to writing a blog, doing this podcast, curating the lounge, which is a place on my website for diplomats and those living the diplomatic life to come and get support from other people just like them and for them to support other diplomats and those living the diplomatic life in a safe anonymous way through my website and through my prolific social media presence on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn, I'm now really pleased to say that I have created two more services to support you and other diplomats and those living the diplomatic life wherever you are in the world. Now, these two new services are coaching and speaking services for you, for our employing agencies, and for conference organizers and podcasters. And I've also created the Friends of the Lonely Diplomat, which is a group in cities around the world of people who want to take an extra step beyond reading my blog, beyond listening to my podcast and engage with me and other readers and listeners wherever they are in the world. Now, I'm going to be putting two new links uh, in the description of this episode. So feel free to come to my website and have a look at both those coaching services and Friends of the Lonely Diplomat. And if there's not, a group of the Friends of the Lonely Diplomat where you are. Get in touch with me and let's see what we can do to set one up. I've been able to set up the Friends of the Lonely Diplomat and these coaching and other services partly due to the generosity of some of the financial supporters who have helped me over the past few weeks. I want to say thank you most sincerely and if you want to help support me, support other diplomats and those living the diplomatic life through the highs and the lows of this diplomatic life, please go to thelonelydiplomat.com forward slash support to find out some more information. Now, in this episode of the Lonely Diplomat podcast, we're going to be revisiting a an article written by Simon on being a male diplomatic spouse. Now, this article um, was published on my blog back in June, and this post talked specifically about Simon's experience over multiple postings of being a 
male diplomatic spouse as his wife be, was the posted diplomat. One thing that you will notice about that, epi- uh, about that article was that Simon doesn't have a last name and he's not being interviewed for this podcast episode directly or like so you you won't hear his voice but the interview has been done over email and I have Simon's words to and Simon's responses to my questions in front of me now so there's a couple of there are three questions that I have asked him and I will read my question and um, and his response over the next little while, then provide some of my thoughts. Um, being a male diplomatic spouse myself right now and looking at how we as a diplomatic community can support male diplomatic spouses into the future. Now, before we go on, Simon's words resonated all around the world with so many people. The words in his article supported men living this diplomatic life where they are. And many of you have let me know that you could see his experience, his words in your lived experience, which is precisely the reason why I asked Simon to write those words for us all. Now, the first question that Simon answered from me was, how does it feel knowing that your words and experience have been read by men in your situation around the world? Simon answers, I'm certainly happy if the words have, in a very small way even, helped others who are involved in a similar situation of being a male diplomatic spouse. Particularly for first-time spouses, the whole situation can creep up on you, especially after the first month or two of the posting is over, and you may realise that you have yet to find a way to keep yourself fully occupied, with the so-called honeymoon period being over, perhaps. It's not always easy to benefit from someone else's personal experience, unless you have that experience yourself. That's certainly the case for me, anyway. But there is also likely to be a number of people who are at least interested to read about the experience and thereby understand a bit more about the ins and outs of diplomatic postings and in particular the strains that they can put on the spouse. Certainly these sorts of experiences are generally speaking the same for diplomatic postees the world over regardless of nationality. Don't get me wrong there is also a great many upsides of postings but they come with a personal price tag also, which I know you, Phil, are certainly conscious of conveying to your readers. The second question that I asked Simon was, you've chosen not to be interviewed for the podcast so as to maintain your and your wife's anonymity. This is completely understandable. How does that make you feel about how diplomats and those living in the diplomatic, living the diplomatic life show up in the world? Simon answers, well, certainly diplomats can have a profile, particularly at the more senior levels. And as we know, Phil, many diplomats are aspiring to make it to those more senior levels. And in this day and age, your online profile is something that will always follow you for good or otherwise. I guess it's fair to acknowledge too, that there is still a stigma associated with being seen to look down at the other side of being a diplomat 
or a public servant, especially online. As you have said, you, Phil, as the lonely diplomat, get comments back regularly saying that this is whinging and we should just be grateful if we are occupying a publicly funded position. It all reminds me of politicians who are also in publicly funded positions of privilege. Now, can you imagine if a politician was to highlight some of the negatives of political life via, via a blog or want to expose the downside of being a politician? He or she would be ridiculed mercilessly and very quickly told to put up or shut up, to put it mildly. Yet, who in this age would really want to be a politician given the enormous personal toll it puts on your personal life and family? Hence, it becomes harder to attract quality people into the political role. We are in a vicious cycle of by continuing to maintain these stigmas, which is why I admire your work for attempting to address some of those stigmas and perhaps destigmatize it all. I guess the point is that it may create complications to be seen to be complaining about the downsides of diplomatic life. Sometimes it is easier just to try and avoid it or sidestep those sorts of complications and maintaining anonymity like an unacknowledged journalist source is, a way, is one way of attempting to navigate those issues. What, it's Phil again, it's not Simon's words anymore, um, what fantastic insight. And I think that goes straight to the heart of many of your concerns and goes to some of the language that I use in describing the highs and lows of this diplomatic life, wanting or, or being able to comfortably acknowledge the highs because they're there and, and the highs of diplomatic life are safe. They are, in effect, diplomacy's best advertisement as a career because it's a fantastic career. The highs are so definitely high. But because of the privilege of serving your country, and it remains, don't get me wrong, it remains an absolute privilege to live this life and do this job. But it is life. Life has ups and downs. And Simon's right. I am working to destigmatize the lows of this diplomatic life because we all experience them and nobody is served by feeling shame or worse, being made to feel shame for experiencing and speaking up in a constructive way, acknowledging the downsides of being a diplomat and the downsides of living this diplomatic life. Now, I've spoken in previous podcast episodes about how, at least in Australia, it's not seen to, uh, to be, it's not good to be seen to be the whinger, the complainer, the whiner. I'm trying to think of other synonyms from um, other countries around the world for, for being a whinger. I want to be really clear. My work, as Simon has said, simply wants to acknowledge that those downsides are there. Those downsides can make us feel 
horrendous. They can make us feel, we can feel terribly alone. And when we do speak up, again, we can feel shame or we can be made by others to feel ashamed of our response and deny them. Now, you and I all, we all know that denying thoughts and feelings doesn't make them go away. Simply, calmly, kindly, acknowledging the downside's presence, calmly, constructively, examining those downsides can help us move forward in a real, authentic, kind, honest way with ourselves and with each other. My final question, and I'm kind of tearing through these, uh, my final question to Simon about his blog post on being a male diplomatic spouse was, you've given advice in your blog post to your younger self. Do you have any further advice for those men who are about to embark on the journey of being a male diplomatic spouse for the first time? Simon's response is, I think you're referring to the journey is very wise advice in itself. On any given journey, there will most likely be barriers and challenges, but you will never get to the destination if you don't take them on. You will also do well to expect that there will be such twists and turns and indeed potholes to look out for. It's up to you to navigate them as best you can. That way, you will get more satisfaction by overcoming the barriers. Don't be shy or backward in coming forward if you need some help and support from family and friends, or indeed professional counsellors in some situations. We all need that help at times, even if we don't always come forward and ask for it. Also, the way you experience the journey of a posting and being a spouse, or even a male spouse, will be very personal and individualized depending on your emotional makeup, background, experiences, and nature of the challenges you will undoubtedly confront. We all experience it differently to some extent, but there's certainly also no reason not to enjoy the journey to the fullest, and that includes taking out, taking time out to enjoy the sights and smell the roses, as they say. Hopefully this is all not too cliched, Simon finishes. It's kind of hard, you know, let's, let's, you know, give ourselves a break when we're talking about lessons that we're imparting either speaking to our younger self or in, in giving advice to others without kind of resorting to cliches. So I think, especially when I ask the question that starts about embarking on your journey, <laughs> I think language like that invites cliches, don't you think? But Simon has really hit the nail on the head and speaks to a theme that I have through my work in supporting diplomats and those living the diplomatic life, male or female diplomat or the poster diplomat or the accompanying spouse. And that is sooner or later, the highs become the lows and we can feel reluctant to ask for help. Simon's advice in getting help and support from family and friends and professional counsellors in some situations, situations is 
fantastic, extremely sound advice. I also contend, based on my own lived experience, that diplomats and those living the diplomatic life are, we are our own best source of support because we understand what it's like to live far away from home, to always be on, to sometimes feel lonely and isolated and sometimes never feel like we're in the right place at the right time because when we need to be home we can't get home and when we need to be at work we sometimes can't get to work if you know what I mean. That kind of duality of being everywhere, living everywhere in the world but nowhere can really be quite upsetting, disruptive and other diplomats get it. So Simon's advice about not being backward in coming forward, which is a very good turn of phrase, I have to say, is extremely, extremely important. Finally, his final point of taking time out to enjoy the sights and, as they say, Simon says, smell the roses is really great advice because because we could be so focused on getting it done. Going from, you know, week to week to week, you know, meeting the deadlines and all the, um, all the requirements of life, I guess, you know, for want of a better term there, taking time out to be where you are in the world and actually experience and enjoy where you are in the world is really important. And sometimes when we are in getting it done mode, it can be really hard at times, at least I find, to sit back and enjoy where I am in the world. I want to say an enormous thank you to Simon for being brave, for sharing his story with all of us, both through his blog post on being a diplomatic, male diplomatic spouse, and sharing his answers to my three questions here. Simon, I know you're going to be listening to this. Thank you. I want to recognise very publicly your bravery and recognise your tremendous experience and insight and sharing that with, uh, with my readers and my listeners around the world. Before I finish this episode, I just want to share with you a few more thoughts. The first is, as a male diplomatic spouse, when we share our current station, for want of a better term, our current station in life with others, it can evoke responses of envy and jealousy, perhaps, but let's just go with, with envy. And without doubt the ability to have a mid-career break or beginning of career break or, or whatever and um, whatever it is in individual circumstances is really tempting. But unless we know as men, unless we know or unless we are sure of ourselves, 
the allure, the fun of a mid-career break can actually be really daunting. Let me explain. For men, and it's really difficult, please bear with me as uh, I don't like to speak in generalities, typically for men, many of us derive our sense of self from what we do. So imagine a social situation between men very quickly, if not the very first question when getting to know someone, one asks another guy, so what do you do? Now, if that job has social status, whatever that might be because of money or influence or power or whatever it is, that kind of gives everyone in the conversation an idea of what, of how important you are. And when saying it out loud, it kind of sounds really hollow, doesn't it? But how it sounds out loud doesn't change how it actually is. So if, and Simon picks up on this point in his blog post, where he talks about, you know, he could say previous to going on his first posting that he was a public servant and he got to work on this piece of policy in that area and it sounded all very important and derived a fair bit of his sense of self from what he did. When he then went on the posting and his wife went to work, and he was taking care of children, no matter how noble and important that is, the tone, not saying that Simon said this, but the tone with which it can be said is, oh, I'm just at home taking care of the children. It's the word just. And rightly, wrongly, I'm not making a commentary on wider society. Well, I am, it's not right. But the sense of self, if achieved by, a, by what one does, if the, what one does changes and that kind of social status, the power status, the influence in society status diminishes, so can diminish the man's sense of worth. What do we do about this? Well, we need to change our sense of self-worth. We need to derive our sense of self-worth from who we are, not what we do. And I think this applies equally to men and women. It is if we are very proud of what we do and we almost walk around with our business cards attached to ourselves somehow and, you know, I'm Phil, I'm a diplomat, or I'm John and I'm a lawyer, or, well, I can say now I'm Phil and I'm a blogger and I'm a writer and, um, and a podcaster and a coach and all that kind of stuff. But if you get that sense of self from the what you do and that what changes, it can be crushing it can be lead to a sense of real disillusionment. And so those kind of comments um, that we can get when 
telling other people about being a diplomatic spouse, male or otherwise, those connotations of, you know, having leading a life of leisure aren't actually helpful. But we feel that we can't say, well, actually, it's really difficult because living this diplomatic life remains a privilege and, and it runs counter to the code that you can't complain about living this diplomatic life, even when you really don't feel like you might be contributing to society. You don't feel like you're contributing to the household because you're not bringing money in. You don't feel like you're, you're providing in the way that society feels that you need to provide. The key to that is, as I say, moving from deriving your sense of self-worth from what you do to who you are. Because deriving your sense of self from who you are is transportable. You are you wherever you are in the world. And this applies to any stage of life. So if you are, coming back to the topic, a male diplomatic spouse about to accompany your partner, your the diplomat, on their first diplomatic posting, it applies to you. If you know who you are, then you can do anything in the world because you are you. And it applies mid-career, uh, when, when accompanying during a mid-career or towards the end of the career. Deriving your sense of worth from who you are is infinitely, serves us infinitely more than deriving your sense of worth from what you do. The question then becomes how. How do we derive our sense of worth from who we are? That's a great question. And if you would like some help with that, please let me know because I would love to have a conversation with you as a coach to help you reconnect with yourself and the world around you. And here's my clue. What do you stand for? If I was to ask a question now, another question, who are you? The response to that question, who are you, tells me so much about what or where you derive your sense of self-worth. When I first started being coached, my coach, the amazing Mike Campbell, asked me, Phil, tell me a bit about yourself. And I went on for about five, ten minutes in my way, telling him about how awesome I am at work. And after listening to me very patiently, he then said, that's fantastic. That's a great CV, Phil. I asked you who you were and you told me about what you do. Does that apply to you too? In honesty, in all honesty, does that apply to you? It's probably something to think about as I wrap this episode up. If you would like to reach out for me for coaching services or to provide some feedback, please send me an email to admin at thelonelydiplomat.com. That email address will be provided in the description of this episode. If you like my work, 
please give it a rating on the service through which you are now listening. If you do like it, remember that word of mouth is the best form of advertising, so please tell a friend. If I can improve it, please tell me. I'm able to grow my work through the generosity of my supporters, my financial supporters. If you found value in this episode, please show me some love and go to thelonelydiplomat.com forward slash support and learn how you can make a monthly or one-off contribution to help me grow my work. It does sound like you're getting ready to leave. So until next time, be awesomely and humanly you because the world needs more you. All views expressed in this episode are my own, and all sounds are freeware in the public domain. Thanks for listening.